Hi, I'm Paul Stringfellow and welcome to Tech Interviews. On this week's show, it's a Dell Dell Technologies world as we get all the latest news and updates from Dell's premier tech conference. So settle back and enjoy the show. Hi and welcome to this week's Tech Interviews. Uh, so on the show this time, we're going to talk about an event uh, that's not an event I've actually attended in the past, but an event that increasingly has become more and more interesting to me, um, and that's uh, Dell Technologies World. So we've we just had that recently. Uh, so what I needed was a guest who um, took themselves out to uh, sunny, or as I've just found out, not so sunny Las Vegas uh, for the event. So I managed to track down uh, none other than returning guest to the show, Chris Evans. Hi, Chris. Hi, Paul. How are you? Yeah, I'm real good, mate. Yeah, yeah, you? Uh, yeah, I am now. I'm back and I'm over the jet lag of being in Las Vegas for a few days. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's not just the jet lag, is it, when you come back from Las Vegas? It's the whole, um, I've been to Las Vegas, how on earth does that? How on earth does that continue to operate like that? It's just mental. Yeah. Um, so, um, so well, before we get into Dell Tech World, um, for people who have not heard you on the show before, uh, introduce yourself, Chris. Tell us who you are and what it is you do. Yeah, sure. So, my name is Chris Evans. Nothing to do with either um, the famous DJ or the famous actor. I used to be, I guess, a consultant in IT. Did, did that for a lot of years. But over the last sort of four or five years, I've more focused on being an analyst, working with vendors, doing a lot more content and just looking at the market and trying to understand where it's going and, and how it's headed and trying to help people understand how they should pick their technology choices. And so just to be clear, you're not Captain America. Absolutely not. Really, really sad to uh, to have to admit that. Although on many occasions, people have seen my name and thought, oh, and wondered whether they were going to get Captain America and been sadly disappointed. As as am I um, now. Uh, I, I've been missold my podcast guest. Uh, we we'll, we'll have to do another podcast uh, with somebody else. I'll um, that so so um, no, but hey, you know, Captain IT, that's good enough. Captain Technology will do. Uh, who needs to be Captain America? So um, so anyway, Chris, you know, you, you say you just come back from Vegas. You know, you've been out to Dell Technologies World. So you know, it's not an event I've I've ever been a part of, but it's an, a, an event that I've I've seen increasingly and seems to be increasingly important as an, an event in the IT calendar. Um, so tell us a little bit about it. You know. What, what is Dell Technologies World and, and what is their focus for people who have maybe never really even come across the event? Yeah, sure. So I should, first of all, thank the social team um, at Dell because obviously they paid for flights and accommodation. So thanks very much to them for putting me up at, in, you know, in Las Vegas and, and looking after me as well as a number of other people. So thanks very much for was, that. Was that because they thought you was that Chris Evans? I don't know. I think they may have thought I had some sort of influence and might write stuff online, but um, I haven't written anything yet. It's a bit early. And I'm not I'm not the one who writes stuff straight afterwards. So you need to talk to some other Chris's for that sort of thing. So, <laughs> you know, thanks thanks to them for that, which is great. But looking at the event, okay, so let's let's wind back a little bit and if you go back in history, you'll see that at this time in the um, IT calendar, in the events calendar, this would have been something called EMC World. And EMC World's been around for a long time, and it was something else before that. It was like, um, I can't even think what it was called. It was something It was something like um, Tech Wizards or something like that. That was the original get-together of people who were using EMC technology. EMC World became a lot bigger, and obviously, you know, EMC's bought all sorts of companies at the time. It had bought VMware, it had bought into RSA, it had, it had launched a a lot of separate brands. So they, I guess, were very happy that they could justify a show. And as Dell bought EMC, we initially, I think, had Dell EMC World, perhaps, as the, the forerunner to this. And I think last year it was changed to De Dell Technologies World. So bit by bit, it's morphed into a Dell-specific and not an EMC-specific show. And that starts to show, as you, as you actually 
see the way that things are presented as you wander around and so on. Yes, yeah, so that's it's that's interesting because I, I think one of the things that and, and why the show props interest me and, and um, why, why I asked you to come on was I, I, that, that you know for, I think for lots of us that our view of Dell as being the company who sell laptops and servers to people you know and probably sell them directly you know they're not really a channel engagement company they are very much they, they built their business very much on on selling things online but obviously over time like you said that kind of acquisition of EMC particularly has meant that Dell's reach has grown hugely so uh, so I'm interested in, in kind of for them with this show you know what, what what's the focus of this show for them then you know is it are, are you forever getting uh you know dell xps 15s put into your hands to play with or, or is the focus elsewhere is it more kind of enterprise it focused or is there a, a good mix that's a, that's a really really good question because that raises some of the other concerns issues thoughts i've had as i've been wandering around the show so first of all you're right dell started off as a server slash PC company, very much PC company, I guess, initially, self-build, Dell Direct, you know, order it online, get it shipped to you. But over the years, they've they pushed more into the enterprise, yet still retain that, that consumer desktop uh, side to the business too. This was very much about the, the business side of things. And when we do talk about laptops and other mobile devices, it was more about how those are used in the business. There was a show floor talking about Alienware, which did seem to sort of uh, go away a little bit from that um, business side of things. And they were really noisy, really, really noisy. Um, And anybody who's listened to my podcast recordings from the show will know that because the area they gave us to record was right behind it. So I had to do my absolute best to try and take some of that noise out. And some points, I just couldn't do it. So Alienware were there with some of the the PC side of things or a few... Laptops on display, you could go and look at them, especially the ones for the end user in terms of the lovely cinema display they have on them and things like that. So there was definitely a little bit of um, consumer, but really it was meant to be enterprise. The only problem I personally found with the feel of the event was if I'd looked at it, at, at, say, when it was EMC World, EMC World was really corporate. So you really looked at it, and as you said, it was a corporate selling model. It would have been channel. It would have been direct. Whereas for Dell, it it felt a bit more mid-range. It didn't felt feel really high enterprise. And that was a bit odd, really, I guess, from my perspective, because I'm used to sort of that larger enterprise sort of feel to, to events, and it just didn't have that sort of feel to it. Yeah, it's interesting because... Um... You know, and I think, and we'll kind of come to some of the, the kind of key announcements that, that came from that show. But certainly, those key announcements you would feel were very much enterprise focused. So it's, it's interesting that the, the event itself, and, you know, and that's not necessarily a bad thing that the you know the event didn't feel overly um, large enterprise and maybe felt like you said a, a maybe a little bit more more middling. Um, I, I don't know, but maybe that maybe that is a good thing. Maybe that's exactly what they were going for. So, um, but yeah, I mean, so, so in terms of kind of some of the key takeaways, some of the key announcements. That, that you heard there you know what, what what were some of the things that that kind of you know because you've been in this industry a long time you know you, you talk to lots of vendors you see a, you've got a really good overview of, of kind of the general shift of technology I think particularly around data and particularly around storage so but what, what were some of the key things that kind of came that, that, that came from that that resonated with you I suppose if you compare that to the conversations that you have elsewhere you know what, what were some of those kind of key things well let's pick the storage platforms for a, a start so the mid-range platform focused more than anything else because it got a, re- a refresh. So Unity is now Unity XT, which 
better, faster, stronger, you know, a bit, bit, bit better than it was previously, and is allegedly NVMe ready, although we couldn't quite work out what NVMe ready actually meant. And in actual fact, funny enough, Chris Meller had a bit of an argument with one of the senior execs in one of the briefings when we tried to sort of get to the bottom of what he was really meaning by that. Uh, I still don't really know. I think what they mean is that they've probably put the physical connectivity in there, but the software hasn't been updated to actually exploit it fully. So there was a bit of a mid-range improvement. There was a new data protection product, which I think was called Power Protect because all the brand products are now moving to the power name. So Power Power Edge for the servers, Power Protect, Power Max. Um, that's another reason, by the way, why I think it's, it feels more like that mid, mid-range end, end of the market rather than a high-end enterprise, just the naming for a, for a start. But anyway, there's a new data protection product. Seems a bit lightweight at this point. Not clear whether it's actually got any sort of networker history built into it or whether it's completely brand new. But I guess they're looking to try and upgrade their their data protection technology and sort of become a bit more cloud-focused. Then there was a little bit of an upgrade for PowerMax, uh, dual opt-in drives. But really in the storage side of things, it was more incremental. And we have a bit of a promise about where we're going in the future with the mid-range products and that they're going to merge a number of the existing platforms together, but that's not ready yet. And that's looking to be towards the end of the year. So from a storage perspective, very focused on mid-range. Yeah, so, so I'm interestingly there as well. Um, I, I think what we hear from quite a lot of storage vendors um, is the way they are looking to kind of expand their integration. You know, So this, this is not so much about storage in a silo, you know, by your super fast NVMe, you'll flash array or whatever and stick it in your data center, but increasingly the conversation about how we integrate cloud, especially uh, in with those platforms. I mean, was there much conversation around that kind of thing? Yeah, so there's more discussion about cloud. So there's a cloud storage services offering, which I believe is a bit like the co-located stuff that we saw from NetApp quite a few years ago that Nimble have also done, that I think Infinidat have done, where you basically the vendor puts the equipment in a colo nearby public cloud and you use that rather than using the public cloud storage. So that was one angle, which I say is a checkbox. Other people have done that. The more interesting piece was around the idea of how on earth you deliver public cloud type services on premises. So we came out with this thing, which I'm really have to sort of close my eyes and focus on, which was called Dell Technologies Cloud on Dell EMC, I think it was actually called, which it sounds like an awful name for a product. I don't know why they called it Dell Technologies Cloud and why they just didn't call it Dell Cloud. It would have been more sensible, but they called it Dell Technologies Cloud. And as far as I can tell, this is on-premises equipment that you can order online and have shipped to you and Dell manage it end-to-end. It was what was called Project Dimension. And the one thing I think about that is, okay, I get the concept. You're trying to find an angle where you can talk about cloud, even though you haven't got public cloud. Come back to the public cloud in a moment. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to build a managed service around the equipment that you're going to ship somebody. And it's a bit like a step past where we were with converged infrastructure. So converged infrastructure, you spec'd out what you wanted, it was shipped to you, and then you managed it, and they helped you with things like patching, whereas this is end-to-end. And I think not only is it end-to-end, but the purchase model is actually operational. It's an OPEX model rather than a CAPEX model. So that was probably their main focus from a cloud perspective. 
I think that's um, I think that's quite an interesting shift, though. And 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 it's not. I mean, Project Dimension I was kind of familiar with as as an idea. You know, as a, almost an extension of kind of um, the VMware part of the business, you know, the VMware Cloud on AWS offering. It's starting to take some of that, probably a little bit like Microsoft have done with Azure Stack. The idea of taking that kind of Azure look and feel and dropping that into your own on-prem data center. And I, and I do. I think potentially some real value in that kind of stuff because it's, it's interesting you mentioned about converged infrastructure and, and certainly one of the things that I've always found and I find maybe a little bit of a challenge around hyper-converged as well is that the value of those platforms is not so much in the fact that I've been able to converge stuff that used to sit in 10 racks into something that sits into for you now um, and you know plug some cables in and you can scale it out and I think that's great and it has its place. But actually, the real value to me as a business is what does that allow me to do that I haven't been able to do previously? And I think that idea of building that cloud-like experience into something that you can then adopt inside of your own data center that maybe integrates in with public cloud as well. I do think it's an, an interesting idea. I mean, it's all, I suppose it's all going to be in the execution and commercial viability longer term. But, but it's interesting to see Dell are doing something in that space because um, I, say I, do, I, I think it's an intriguing space and certainly something to keep an eye on. You hit the nail on the head, Paul, about the idea of the commercial viability of it and how it will actually operate. Because for me, that's where I was more interested in finding out. And I I have to say, I don't have the answer to this, but I do have a lot of questions. So I would look at it and say, if this stuff ships to me um, and it's sitting in my data center, I'm obviously now paying for power cooling space and stuff. That might be relevant to me if this equipment that's being shipped to me is not very efficient. Uh, you know, I'd have a concern about that. And then again, I may not. The other side is, who's got access to this platform? How far does their access extend? How is that secured? What happens when I want to do things like upgrades and, and so on? Or if Dell themselves say, well, it's time to upgrade this technology. Here's the window we're going to give you. How do you negotiate all of those agreements between the, the two companies so that you can make sure your business continues to run? So for me, the operational aspect of something like this is really interesting to find out the detail on. And and I'm really, you know, I want to dig down into that area more than anything else, I think. Yeah, and I, th- I think it does, it's, it probably does underline, though, this this kind of interesting shift that you're seeing from people with a public cloud presence. And, you know, and, and kind of Dell are an interesting in that they've almost got a hybrid public cloud in, in you know, kind of... Um, piece in terms of certainly what they're doing with uh, AWS and I think we'll come on to what they're starting to do with Microsoft as well in that space um, but you've also seen it from Microsoft you know Microsoft going the other way haven't you that in the taking what has traditionally been an on-prem enterprise company they built this kind of you know huge uh, Azure Office 365 platform this huge cloud uh, you know back end and so Microsoft have approached this one way of taking kind of their enterprise experience, moving that into the cloud. But from AWS's point of view, they've been, it looks like, you know, from a partnership point of view, how do I extend what we've done in the public cloud into the data center? Because I do think the reality for, for most organizations, probably most of the people listening to this show, is the idea that their infrastructure in the mid to long term and maybe forever will continue to be hybrid. They are going to have some things on-prem, but they will want to tactically exploit public cloud as and when they need it. And anything that makes that process more straightforward potentially has real value. But I think, as you said, you know, and and, and that public cloud debate, full stop, is, is, is a huge piece around the commercials of how that works, you know. And, and I think some really interesting points, what you just said as well, is that if you're going to run something that's managed by somebody like Dell, 
inside of your data center? How do you negotiate the practicalities of that? So it'd be interesting to see kind of kind of how that plays out. So so I mean, was, was there any extensions to that as well, or was you know some some other things that kind of caught your attention? Yeah. So I I, I just want to go back to that one thing, and I'll finish off a little bit of a thought about that, and then we'll come on and talk about about Microsoft. But let's just think about where you're you're likely to be as a business going forward. You could now be in a position where you could buy your own equipment uh, as a capital purchase, manage it yourself, put it on the floor, and and sell it internally to your own business. You could now ship storage and compute from a vendor like Dell and have them manage it for you on-premises. And you can now use stuff in the cloud. So you've now got three um, consumption models that you have to consider when you're doing this. And that's not just three consumption models for one component of the infrastructure. That's three component, uh, three consumption models across everything that you do. And, and that I think that there needs to be some way of customers being able to step back and say, hang on a second, what is the right approach for this? Because I really now can't tell whether, which one I should take and what are, what are my sensitivities? Am I sensitive to, to cost, to operational cost, to CapEx? It's going to be really interesting to see how, how customers fix that problem. So Let's see where that develops and how that that you know that that works. Well, I think to pick up on that as well, maybe, maybe just talk kind of before we move on to talking about some of some of the things they covered. And I think that's a, it's a really interesting point around. Uh, and I think what's valuable to that is knowing that this stuff exists right now. And it's certainly a conversation I have with people I talk to a lot is that the idea with this is that you need to understand the potential you might want to be able to do this. The likelihood is you are going to want some infrastructure on-prem. You're going to want some in some colos maybe somewhere. You're going to want some that operates from public cloud or some some cloud-type provider. You know, it doesn't have to be AWS. doesn't have to be Azure. It could be, could be any type of provider. You are going to want infrastructure in all of these places. How do you design something then that takes that into account? You know, how do you have consistency of service, consistency of operation in that if I'm running something on-prem today, I want to run it inside a public cloud tomorrow or vice versa? How do I make sure that I've designed something that gives me that mobility of experience? I can move from A to B, B to C and back again without that cost of me the earth being technically almost impossible to do. Um, and, and that's where I think some of these kind of um, hybrid things driven by either the public cloud providers or people with public clouds can potentially start to bridge some gaps around that or you're then looking at kind of orchestration layers on top aren't you where you're looking at third-party providers who will orchestrate some of that process but but i think yeah but but i think it's very much a it's a really interesting it's a really interesting challenge and something for us to to think about and it's say something that i I kind of counsel people with a lot now to say that as as you're looking to design things for the future you need to bear in mind that you might want to integrate some of these other kind of locations and repositories longer term so um but yeah but it's, it's a really it's, it's it is a really interesting area and, and say so be be fascinating to see how dell develop what they're they're doing in that space and um, so you said yeah there's, there's some other things that kind of caught your attention as well well we've we've seen that we've had vmware on aws which initially i looked at and thought why would you do that um however i can see a use case for that when you're looking at data protection there's a, there's a great use case that says, I don't want to build a secondary data center. I could just plumb uh, my primary data center into that, and I get the same look and feel, same experience as I bring up in that public cloud. I'll come back to the idea of whether that's got any additional value in a moment. But what they did do uh, at the event was bring out uh, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella to talk about the fact that you can now do VMware on Azure. So... 
exactly what does that mean? I'm not entirely sure yet, but I would imagine it means the same as you could do on AWS in the sense that you will now have vSphere and um, the various foundational products for um, VMware sitting on an Azure set of hardware so that you can run it in the same context. So why would you do that? I'm not really 100% clear on on the long-term value of that for me as a customer. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I do think it's a kind of, um, let's say, I think, you know, that you, you're right in saying and looking at, because it was the announcement from from the show that caught my attention initially. Um, yeah, because there has been some attempts um, and it, it kind of, I think, was, was was killed off quietly, but some attempts to run VMware inside of Azure previously, you know, not supported by VMware, but but certainly there was a potential capability there, but, but that seems to have withered on the vine and probably with this kind of background thing um, go, going on perhaps and, and, and that was it was allowed to die peacefully in a corner. Um, but I, I, you know, I think that idea, and we kind of touched on it a little bit before with the with doing this the other way around, in that the managed platform sat inside of your data center, and I think that idea that you can de- define that, build that hybrid infrastructure with tools that you already know. So if you have a VM warehouse on prem and you know your way around vSphere, and you can relatively seamlessly plug in some public cloud into that infrastructure you can certainly see as a as a kind of a as a hybrid as a middling step you can potentially see some value in that i think all the things you talked about before though are absolutely right in terms of just the other way around you know, what does this look commercially you know what what does that infrastructure look like what control do i really have around it what are some of the use cases i mean certainly when i've spoken to vmware in the past about vmware on aws i think one of the interesting use cases they see is development um, now potentially it's quite an, an expensive way of doing development but the idea that you might want to develop with the flexibility of public cloud but long term bring that back on prem but the fact that you're building it with the same consistent infrastructure sat inside of a public cloud provider means that 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 process of bringing it into your data center is an awful lot more straightforward i suppose it's the opposite of what you were talking about before that kind of building a dr instance that sits inside of public cloud which may yeah. be cheaper than you building or taking a data center so so i think there are some some interesting use cases but um yeah and again i think it's going to be an, an interesting an interesting thing to see how that develops for VMware, both inside of AWS and, and inside of Azure. Um, I mean, I, I mean, do you see any other use cases around around That's that kind it. of technology? You see, I, I, this is where I'm. I'm a bit sort of like I'm. I'm. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm old school. Maybe I'm struggling with it. I don't know. But I look at it and think, if I look at a typical VMware farm that somebody might be running on prem today, the chances are they're running virtual machines, which they look after and they curate and they, you know, they they cuddle and they keep nice. All the the, the classic pets thing that are probably typically running um, to traditional databases. So they're probably running SQL. They're probably running traditional apps. They're probably running web servers and so on. So if you move to the public cloud and you've got the ability to connect to a public cloud via a, a network, that just gives you a lower latency than you would be able to do if you were connecting for your on-prem data center. What am I actually going to do in terms of integrating the public cloud features and functionality with those traditional VMs running traditional SQL databases. I'm really struggling to see what the connectivity would be from an application perspective. Um, I mean, I certainly know, uh, I mean, I know within um, terms of VMware on AWS, and, and again, you can, I suppose, extrapolate this out that you you might see the same kind of things happening as your. There are certainly, they, they have, in fact, they have the capability now to be able to take some of their public cloud capabilities that sit inside of AWS and integrate them 
relatively seamlessly inside into that VMware stack that sits inside of AWS. So I, I suppose there is some thoughts around doing that, but again, as you say, it's it's, it's maybe a maybe a use case thing, and and I suppose it is as as this this technology gets increasingly utilized um, inside of the public cloud, maybe we'll start to see those use cases develop, which you say, mate, you know, maybe just aren't things that we're, we're necessarily seeing right now. If I was, if I was a CTO looking at how I would go forward with the, with the way that I develop my applications today, and I had a big VMware farm and I had a big um, investment in say Oracle or SQL or, or those other technologies, I would be looking at it saying, actually, all of those older technologies come with a huge license cost and a huge overhead. I want to move away from dependency on a specific vendor like Oracle or VMware. I want to move into an environment where I can look at using serverless, where I can look at using containers, where I can actually change A, the licensing model and B, the operational model. And I would want to focus more on my data and what my data was. And the the way that I talk to that data and run the application would become less relevant to me. So I'd, I guess I would have thought larger organizations would have been going through a transformation that says, this is the way we want to move uh, our application development forward so that in the future we're, we're more agile, we're using more open source technologies, we're less dependent on, on heavy licensing costs. Now, that's great if you're a large enterprise, but I did say at the very beginning of this that the, the whole Dell thing did feel like a bit more mid-range. And I wonder whether that the offerings that they're coming up with are more focused on those organizations that don't have the agility to just go off and rewrite their applications and come up and start using this new technology. And therefore, they see themselves in that sweet spot of middle enterprise or middle um, size business and not high enterprise. And those customers who perhaps are not really sure how they're going to go to the cloud at this point. And maybe that's maybe that's the reason why this sort of technology exists. Yeah, I mean, and I think I would... Um... I think I'd tend to concur with that as well in that the idea of it's this kind of, um, you know, we, as we said earlier on, this idea of developing this kind of hybrid infrastructure that says, yeah, I, I want to do some stuff on-prem and I would either like to long-term move to the cloud or start to use public cloud, but I don't really have the internal skill sets. I don't have the you know budgets to be able to do that. But actually be able to take advantage of, you know, you use the word agility, but the you know, flexibility scale of public cloud, but without having to relearn, refactor, re-architect all of my on current infrastructure that I run inside of my business. If I can do that, and I can do that by, you know, having a plug into vSphere that says move these into public cloud, and I can deliver that relatively straightforward. Um, you know, that that's a I think that has potential, and you say maybe has potential, certainly in that mid-sized space where they don't want to go through re-architecting and redesigning the way that they use all their applications to use more native public cloud capability, but like the idea of public cloud flexibility. And I think is it uh, uh, VMware used to run a um, VMware um, v, uh, vCloud Air, I think they used to call it, oh, yes. um, which was kind of v, VMware's first a step into the idea of delivering their own public cloud. And I know a couple of people who did use that service. And, and although it's kind of had, and it's been sold off now and another company operated for them. Um, but one of the real values they had because they were VMware houses internally, it was very much a plug-in to their existing infrastructure and a replication of virtual machines into public cloud 
without an awful lot of hard work needed at the customer end. And actually, to be fair to VMware, one of the things that I found interesting with that service were they were really good at helping their customers move to it, which is not necessarily the same if you look at an AWS or you look at Azure. You know, if, if they are not big on necessarily coming to you as a customer and holding your hand through moving your services into their public cloud offering. So I think that, you know, maybe it does sit somewhere in that space of, of enabling kind of mid-enterprises, mid-sized enterprises to make a move to public cloud without um, too much of a, a consideration in how do I re-architect all of this stuff. I mean, yeah. I think that potentially leads on to a problem that am I getting the best out of public cloud by lifting and shifting? But, you know, maybe that, that, that's again, maybe that's a that's a commercial debate as well as a, as well as a technical. It could be. So look at it from the, um, look at it from the, co- the company's point of view. If you're VMware, then you're potentially diverting people away from actually moving away from you. You're giving them more reason to consume your product and your product is all software based. So if you can still manage to maintain the same level of licensing that you were before, you're not losing out. You're holding on to that customer base and you might expand it a little bit because people might build out DR or they might expand their use of of, of vSphere and, and all your other software tools as a result of that. If you're Microsoft, then what are you doing? Well, what you're doing is you're potentially getting access to a, a range of customers who at some point might look at it and go, oh, there's an interesting service on there. You know, we're running all these databases. We could just move some of this stuff onto Microsoft directly and run it natively. And now we could take away some of the headache of running our own databases. So you can sort of see that there's, you know, there's there's a bit of sort of maneuvering from both sides. So maybe both sides are thinking there's there's some value in it for them and therefore both sides want to sort of work together on it. Yeah, and and I, th- and I think there's I think there's an awful lot to be said for that. I think if you are a public cloud provider, how do I get more and more into the data center to start to encourage people to use my services? Um, if you're say if you're VMware, potentially you look at how do I maintain as more people move to public cloud? How do I maintain my my own revenues through doing that? And from a customer point of view, I, I want to be able to use public cloud. I think the shift is difficult for my traditional infrastructure. But actually, this move of having VMware sat somewhere, something I already know, something I already love and can work with, and I can start to move services in and out using this kind of plug into my my infrastructure that I already know. So, so I mean, I think that there's, there's interesting potential benefits all around. And, and it'd be interesting, certainly, to see kind of how that develops on both platforms and, and what the uptake and use cases for that that become. So, well, as, as we come to the end of our time here, Chris, was there, was there any other particular takeaways that, that grabbed your attention? Um, I think the only other thing is that I would say that in conjunction with a lot of companies of this sort of size that are trying to put together solutions and widen their discussion and their their portfolio and their influence, they'll talk a lot about edge core cloud. Now, what do we mean by edge core cloud Uh, is difficult and everybody seems to have an interpretation. At some point in the presentation, Dell talked about laptops as being edge. Now, personally, I don't see laptops as being edge. I see them as being something that you use as a consumption device when you're doing something. And I see Edge as being a place where you're generating data and delivering compute, like uh, some of the solutions they showed on screen, like the idea of some sort of uh, compute environment sitting in a, a power station or you know connected to a wind farm or something like that. So like, like everybody else, they're trying to talk about this Edge core cloud scenario. But what I'm still not seeing yet is um, sitting above the infrastructure layer Exactly how is the data management piece working around things like security, consistency, moving that data back and forward, you know, policy, you name it. 
everything that we we could talk about around data management. I'm not really seeing that from from them. And to be fair, I don't think I've seen it from any other company either. So there's still probably a bit of work in that area for people to do. But definitely, it is that move again towards following the, you know where the market's headed of edge core cloud, and we t- we hear about five G and we hear about IoT, or a lot of those sort of buzzwords. It'd be really interesting to see where Dell go with that, and if it can be more than just this concept of putting in ruggedized servers into you know wind farms and things like that, which don't to me look to be that much more than you know what you would do if you were just distributing your your in, your infrastructure in different places. Yeah, and I mean, certainly Dell have the kind of breadth of portfolio to be able to make an impact in that space, don't they? You know, they they've got they so- they've got yeah. the software smarts, the back end. They've got server infrastructure. They've got the relationships with public cloud providers. They've got you know edge devices, whatever they might look like. So I say, yeah, again, an interesting shift, and it's interesting to see what organisations like Dell and Lenovo and HP are doing there because they are the kind of companies with the breadth of portfolio that that will allow them to do that. So yeah, well, and I, and I'd add that that you know we sometimes forget and we should remember that they have the services organisation hmm. to support it too. So you know if you are putting out hundreds of devices into different places potentially they have got the ability to come out and service and support that equipment for you. So potentially I can see some significant value on that ability to be able to, to run and support that stuff. If you know, physically it goes wrong and you have to go and look at it and change it. So, so there are some real benefits to their, the way their organization has developed over the years. Okay, Chris. Well, look, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, we're, we're kind of coming to the end of our time here now. And um, so, you know, I, I think that's a great roundup. It's, it's, it'd be interesting to see how some of those things develop, I think, you know, in, in kind of those those core areas that, that we talked about. So, um, well, look, Chris, but, but before we leave, um, for people who uh, want to find out more, maybe more about what you think about this, te- you know, this event um, in the future as, as you maybe start to write some of this stuff up as well, I just want to kind of catch up with some of the, the stuff that you do. You know, you've got some really interesting stuff that you cover, particularly in the storage and data to market as well as your own podcast as well so um so hey why don't why don't you go and plug plug away where can we find you online fantastic shameless plug time right so uh from a podcast perspective you can find me at storageunpack.com that's the url i mean it's on itunes and everywhere else as you might you might expect but storageunpack.com is the website landing page for everything else it's architecting.it which um is basically the site where you'll find blogs, content, white papers for download, all that sort of stuff. And you can also find me as Chris M. Evans on Twitter. Chris, that's uh, that's great stuff. I'll make sure all that goes in the show notes as well. And um, hey, thanks for being on the show and look forward to speaking to you again in the uh, near future. Thanks, Paul. Great. Enjoyed it. Talk soon. I hope you enjoyed that. For show notes, pop over to techstringy.com. We'll also find all of our previous tech interviews episodes. And if you enjoyed the show, why not leave us a review and also subscribe. You can find us in all the usual places on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Stitcher, as well as all other good homes of podcasts. And if there's a topic you'd like to hear us cover here on Tech Interviews, then why not drop us a line at podcast at techstringy.com. So until next time, thanks for listening.